And um, a quick review from last week, just in case you missed it, and I won't spend too much time on this, but God makes a lot of promises. And he just flat out man- he promises to do some things. And, um, and he gives us his own assessment. He says, here's what I think about my promises. In 2 Peter 1, verse 4, he describes it. And he says, that by Jesus, we, we have been given to us exceeding great, exceedingly great and precious promises. And, you know, unlike the promises that humans make, which can fail, right? I mean, they can fail. Um, God doesn't ever forget. He never fails. And he always follows through. His promises, God's promises are always, always, always true. And um, the Bible is just overflowing. It's bubbling up with promises. And um, I, I think, you know, it's, 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 God knows that it's hard for us sometimes to, to walk through what we have to walk through in faith. And so he gives us an assurance and um, a promise. Here's what a promise from God is. It's, it's an assurance that God gives his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. Did you catch that? Because there's a lot of times you're going to wait for God to do his work. And there are reasons why he has you waiting. Or there's, we don't always know the reasons, but he wants you to have an assurance and to be able to walk that faith. So and the promises that God makes, we talked about this last week, they're big things. He's, he's, don't, don't look through your Bible through all kinds of, for all kinds of silly little promises. He, he makes promises about the big things in life, like fear. Things that we would fear. He, he makes promises about our finances, about, about our future, about our family. He, he makes promises about doubt. You know, What's going to happen to me? What's up ahead? What, 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 what? You know, and God makes promises about that. So I want to move in. That's where we were last week. And today I want to talk to you about problem number one. I'm calling it problem number one um, because pr- promise number one deals with problem number one, and that's fear. Before we can appreciate what the promise solves, we need to know what the, what the problem actually is. And the problem is fear. And it's a very, very universal problem. In fact, there are very few concepts in the word of, of Christ in, in, the, in, in the Bible that are as common as fear. The word fear itself shows up 441 times in scripture, afraid 167 times, tremble 101, terror 78, terrify 41, then a whole bunch of other little words uh, grouped together, dread, melt, panic, fright, and faith, 920 times. The Bible talks about fear a lot. It's one of the most common subjects in all of God's word. And I, I guess the question, the obvious question is, well, why is that? Why is it so often? It's because people struggle with fear. I know you guys are going, not me. I'm a tough guy. I'm not afraid. But I'll tell you, I, you know, it happens in every single person. When the middle of the night comes, or at other times, and, and, and God's word provides solutions. It provides healing. It provides hope. It provides answers. So fear is a really common problem that comes up a lot in scriptures. And, and one of the most common exhortations, you know, where the Lord says something to you in scripture from God himself, the, one of the most commons is the phrase, fear not. 33 times it comes up in the Bible. Do not fear another 37 times. Do not be afraid. 33. A lot of times this is what a, an angel or someone would say, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Fear not. Lots of examples. I'll give you a couple of them so you can kind of get a feel for, for the flavor for this. Abraham, who was, who was afraid he was not going to have a son. No male heir. And um, in Genesis 15, God says this to him, Fear not, I'm your shield. Your reward will be great. God certainly carried through that promise. Hagar, who was, um, was afraid and she thought she was going to have to watch her son Ishmael die 
was afraid, and God says to her, God says to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. I've heard your voice. Genesis 21. The Israelites were fearful that the Egyptian army who had pinned them to the sea were going to run them into the sea and kill them all. There's no way out. And, um, and in Exodus 14, Moses was inspired by the Lord. says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord that he will work for you today. Awesome promise about fear. David, who was afraid for his life, and a lot of times he was... On, on the run for his life, he penned these words in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. 23rd Psalm. Solomon, his, his son, who was really kind of afraid to lead the whole nation and to build the temple and, because, you know, hey, I got to follow David. I got to follow King David, you know, the pretty big deal. And David says to him this, he says this in 1 Chronicles, be strong and courageous and do the work do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord had sent him to say things to people that they didn't want to hear. <laughs> and he was afraid how they would react to him. That ever happened to you? You feel like you're supposed to share something with someone and you're pretty sure they don't want to hear it and... You can work up some fear about that. <laughs> it's easy to do. So anyway, God says to Jeremiah, says, do not be afraid of them for I'm with you and will rescue you. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> rescue me from what, God? I will rescue you, the Lord says, declares the Lord. And the problem isn't when fear visits. The problem isn't that fear comes to your house. It's, it, it's not that fear would go, who's there, you know? I mean, it comes to the door and, and, and says, hey, I'm fear, can I come in? And you say, no, that's, that's, that's not the problem. The problem is when you welcome fear into your mind or into your heart or into your life and you nourish it like a friend, you know. You know it's like, I've been waiting for you, fear. You can have the room right down the hall. I've been, I've been expecting you. That's where you can live. Or where you welcome fear and you nourish it like a friend and you say, this is my pal, fear. We go everywhere together. We do that. And you can't keep fear from visiting. But you can slam the door in his face. And the thing that God has given you to do that is his promises. In fact, in the hearts of God's children, there is no reason for us to fear. None. Uh, one of the pastors I follow, a guy named James McDonald, said this. He said, fear is a complete state of anti-God. I had to think that through when, he, when I heard him say that. That's, you know, because God is seldom further from you than when your heart is filled with fear. There are a lot of other emotions that we have to deal with as human beings, and uh, they have their place. Anger. Anger can be a bad thing or it can be a good thing. You know, you can have a righteous anger, angry about things that, that um, God wants to change. That's good anger. Fear is never a good thing. Grief. Grief can be a good thing. I mean, when you have experienced something of a profound loss... There is something in our hearts to be tender and, um, and, and the pain that's there, there's just, um, there needs to be a season for us to walk through that grief and to work through the loss. So grief is not always bad. I mean, but grief can become overwhelming. It can stay too long. Grief has its place. Anger has its place. Fear 
does not have any place. There's no place for fear. Doubt. Doubt is another one. Um, doubt is not always wrong. Sometimes we need to doubt certain things. You know, I, I doubt it, that ladder's going to stay and hold me up while I'm on it. I mean, that's a good thing for me. I've fallen off the roof a couple of times, and I get on a ladder now. Elise is here. I guess I'm going to be truthful. I mean, I would be truthful with that. But I get on a ladder, and I don't always let her know because she doesn't like me on the ladder because I've earned the reputation for <laughs> falling off the ladder. You know, I repent, honey, kind of. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's good to doubt. And so now I try to f- plant that ladder in a place that it can't slide out from underneath me. Then it's just up to me to stay on the thing. And I doubt I can do that sometimes. Doubt is good, you know. Or there have been times I've been on the freeway and I should have had more doubt about whether or not my gas tank would get me where I needed to go. We have this joke about, no, we can make it all the way to Portland and they'll pump it for you there. Anyway, I mean, or doubt... You know, sometimes the doubt needs to be like, I, I doubt you're a proper partner for me for marriage. We need to stop dating. Doubt has its place in our lives. It's not always wrong. Grief is not always wrong. Anger is not always wrong. But for believers, fear is always wrong. Fear has no place in the life of a believer. <laughs> we love little ones. It's really okay. Blessings on this little one. Fill her with life. She's got ponytails that are so cute. Yeah. We love little ones. So fear, fear has no place in the life of a Christian. I know you think I'm painting myself into a corner here. Um, our proverb today, Proverb 29, 25, says, the fear of man lays a, a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That word fear in that karada is, 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 is this, that's used for fear of man, it means anxiety. It means trembling. It means quaking. The, tra- the anxiety and the trembling about men, what they're going to think, lays a snare. Anxiety has no place in the life of a believer. Now, as I was preparing this, I kept thinking, okay, and you're probably wondering this too, well, what about this phrase that's all through the Bible that says, fear of God? What about, we're supposed to, what's, what, about a, what about a proper fear of God? Well, there are different words in scripture related to our English phrase, the fear of God. And... Um, We'll look at a couple of them. But there are different words that are used there depending on whether or not that communication is being directed towards a person who is a believer or an unbeliever. You will see it as you study through scripture. For the unbeliever, there's a different kind of fear involved. And it is the, you know, for an unbeliever, the fear of God is never a good situation. For the the unbeliever, the fear of God involves what will ultimately come one day of judgment and uh, eternal death. In Luke Chapter 12, verse 5, Jesus is talking to this crowd. So these are the words of Jesus, and he says, and they were talking about their fears, and he says, well, I'll show you who you should fear. He's talking to a crowd now, but remind you, I want to remind you, this is not a group of believers, this is a crowd, although his disciples were there. He says, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, the word there is phobeo, okay? The, the Greek word here is phobeo. We get our English word phobia, from the word Jesus. It means trembling and anxiety. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast, cast you into hell. I say to you, fear him. Another example is Hebrews 10, verse 31. It, it, scripture says, it is a fearful phobeos. Phobeos, excuse me. Same, same root word. Frightful, terrible, trembling. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is so true for someone who is not a believer. It's a bad thing to be, to be, it's just, 
When I say bad thing, I'm way understated it. But the fear of God is reverence for the believer. It's this respect, this awe, this, this submission of trust and love to God. That's what the fear of God means to a believer. The very first mention you see of this phrase in the entire Bible happens in Genesis 22. And the story there is that Abraham has taken his son up to a mountain to sacrifice him and give up his son to God. And, um, and he gets stopped there by this character that's described, that's, that's labeled in the scriptures. He's called the angel of God. Now, I don't want to go off down that rabbit trail, but when you find the angel of God, that is a special character. In fact, I believe in this case, it is God that is actually doing the talking. There's lots of reasons for it, um, including the fact that he says at the end of the sentence, but he says, and he said, do not let your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. This, this word here is Yahweh. It's reverence. You reverence God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Do you notice that the angel of the Lord is speaking in the first person. You didn't withhold him from me. No angel lays claim to Abraham's son. Here's another example in the New Testament. This is Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now you may have a different translation where those two words get reversed. That first word, reverence, ahidos, is, is literally awe. And godly fear, which means reverence here, for our God is a consuming fire. Fear is always wrong in the life of a Christian. It, it has no place in the life of a Christian. Well, you may ask, well, okay, Terry, sounds good, but do you have a Bible verse to back that up? Yeah, I've got a couple. Thanks for asking. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you're afraid of people or things or circumstances, that fear is not from God. It's not. In fact, Romans 8.15 says, says, it says that fear is a bondage. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear is a bondage. What that means, what that's talking about in that bondage is that some sins will kind of grab you. They'll, they'll just take hold of you. Fear is a bondage. It's going to grab you and it will hold you. And you'll have a tough time shaking it. You know, when the Bible says that God has not given you a spirit of bondage again to fear, some sins um, you have to be especially careful of because they're just addictive. You know, they'll just hold on. They get their hooks in, they become this bondage, and they hold on to you. Fear is like that. Fear is one of them. So, so the obvious response, of course, is, well, then out with fear. Out, let's get it out. How do we do that, you know? But how do we get out? Get, you, obviously, you expect me to say, you know, the pastoral answer is faith. You've got to have faith. Um, okay, faith in what? Well, a word from God. Well, what word? How about a promise from God? So that's kind of where we're going. And that, now this is going to take us to where we're going to land today, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Now, let me give you a quick overview of the book of Hebrews. This is a, a discussion with um, two Hebrews. Who, these are people with a Jewish history and a Jewish background. And they're beginning to waver because they had the belief and the understanding at this point that Jesus was going to come back right away. And he hadn't come back soon enough for them and they're starting to waver in their faith. And they're starting to think, well, maybe we should go back to what we were doing before. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is kind of aimed at. It's trying to help people from wavering from their faith and saying, well, I'm, I'm a Christian now, but 
I know what I did before and life was okay then and I'm not too sure if I want to hang on here and maybe I should just go back to the way I was before. That's who this audience was, okay? And here is the writer of the book of Hebrews and he's trying to help these people understand why there is so much better in their future with Christ. Verse five, keep your life free from the love of money. In other words, don't let your security be in things and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There it is. The antidote to fear is the promise. God is with me. The thing is, you don't really appreciate the antidote until you know whether you have the disease. So you gotta be honest with yourself. Do I struggle with fear? Do I get fearful and anxious? The antidote to fear is God's presence. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I, I'm not gonna fear. I will not fear. Here's the promise. I will not fear. God is with me. God is with me. He's with me wherever I go. How can I be afraid? God is with me. Now, the biblical term for this is omnipresence. You've probably heard that. And omnipresence, the concept is this foundational truth that God is everywhere. You know. Now, don't get that mixed up with God is everything. God is not everything. Well, when I go out into the forest and the trees and the birds chirp and I just sense so much of God's presence in the trees, you know, and, and all that, that's great. But that's not God. That's nature. God made that stuff. There's a difference. Oh, but when I stand on the shore at night in a Milky Way, and it's like, I love that kind of stuff. I love astronomy. And I love those things. And, and it's great for you to be reminded of the beautiful stars and the moon. But God is not the moon. He made it. And if it reminds you of God, that's good. That's fine. But that is not God. The idea that God is all that stuff, that's called pantheism. Pantheism is an occult religion. It, um, the idea that God is everything. God is not everything, but God is everywhere. Psalm 139, probably my favorite psalm. I love Psalm 139. By the way, if you are in pain or discouraged or brokenhearted and you just need something of the presence of the king, go to Psalm 139. Just camp out on Psalm 139. It's a great one. Anyway, here's Psalm 139, verse 7. This is David speaking. Where can I flee from your presence? He's talking to God. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the lower parts of the earth, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts, everywhere I go, you're there. God's everywhere. Jeremiah talks about it in Jeremiah 23. He says, can anyone hide himself in secret places? God's asking, can a man hide himself? You know, So I shall not see him, says the Lord. I think I'm gonna hide over here. If I hide over here, God won't find me. No, do I not fill heaven and the earth, says the Lord? You cannot hide from God because he's everywhere. Of course, to the believer in Christ, um, the promise is not just that God is everywhere. The, the, the promise is that God is with me. He's with me. There's a special sense where God is with me as one of his children, now, the logical question to ask yourself is, well, since God is everywhere, doesn't that mean that God is already then with everyone? Now, I thought about asking for a show of hands on this, but I decided not to because, you know, 
you never know what's going to happen. If you, you might be wrong, and then you get embarrassed. And I mean, I, there, I, I was so, so if, if, if God is everywhere, just ask yourself this theological question. Don't answer your, don't raise your hands. Then God must be with everyone, right? So it'd be really easy to go, yeah, if he's everywhere, he's God, because everybody is somewhere, and since God is, but the truth is, God is not with everyone. Uh, hey, Terry, you got some scriptures to back that up? Huh? Yes, I do. Thanks for asking that one, too. Number one, God is not with the proud. Psalm 138, 6. The Lord regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. You know, if you think that you can do it on your own, that you don't need God, that, that God is just for weak people, you know, it's like God will sit back and say, okay, well, let's just see how that goes for you. And then he kind of just backs away and watches. God's a gentleman. He will not force himself into any person's life. We get to freely choose to trust him and to love him. That's what gives worth to the choice, is the freedom to make that choice. So God's not with the proud. Second one is that God is not with the worldly. James 4.4. 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Virtually, I think every single person senses the encroachment of the world in our life. How can we not? I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's around us. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. But if your thinking, if your outlook, your attitude is about, you know, my self-indulgence, my, my private pleasures, I get what I want when I want it. If that's how you think, then you're worldly. You're just a worldly person. And, and friendship with the world is hatred with God. God's like, oh, you think that's so great? You really think that's better than me? You really think that that's going to offer to you what I can offer to you? Okay, go to it. And God's too loving to say, you're going to choke on it, but he's thinking, you're going to choke on it. And we'll just, we'll just wait over here while you figure that out. That's how God would respond to someone who decides to, to, to be worldly. God is not with the worldly. Three, God is not with the rebellious. Isaiah 1 is an interesting um, passage that talks about this. In verse 5, it says, Why will you continue to rebel? Then lower down, verse 15, it says, When you spread out your hands, here's the picture, God. Okay. Why will you rebel? And then you're doing this. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. God's saying, you think you're in charge? You think you're driving the car? You think you're the one ruling over everything? And when you come and you pray to me, I'm not even looking at you. I hide my eyes from you. I'm not hearing your prayers. Not with that attitude. So God's not with the world. He's not with the rebellious. And I think probably most important uh, number four, God is not with those who harbor sin. I think, you know, let's admit it, we all fall in many ways and we're all sinful people. There are no perfect people in this room. We're just, a, you know, forgiven. I'm so grateful that I'm forgiven. Harboring sin, by the way, is not where you fail and then you ask God for forgiveness and then you are, you know, you're on this journey of doing better over time. That's not what harboring sin is. 
When you're harboring sin, it's more like this. It comes across like this. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, and nobody's going to stop me. I'm, 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 this is who I am. This is what I want, and nobody's going to be able to do anything to stop me. This is just, this is it, my decision. That's harboring sin. Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Which makes me wonder, well, like, okay, you're kind of painted into a corner there if God won't hear your prayers, you know? I mean, okay, well, let's just say the person who's been harboring sin has a change of heart, then how am I going to get out of this hole if God won't even hear my prayers? Well, he will hear your prayers, but just about that. You know, it's like, you know, you come to God and you've got this, you're harboring this secret private thing that you just are absolutely unwilling to let go of and, and you're stubborn, you're not going to forgive or you're not going to let it go or you're not going to address this whatever it is in your life. And you come to God and, and you say, hey, um, God, can we talk? And, and um, he says, oh, you want to talk about this harboring sin thing? And you go, well, no, actually, I want to talk to you about this other thing that I'd really like your help with He's going to say, no, 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 no. We're only going to talk about this. This is the next thing we're going to talk about. I'm not talking to you about anything else until you're ready to talk about this thing. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So categorically, the Lord is not with everyone. But he can be with you. He can be with you. And he is with you if if your heart is yielded to him, if, if, you, if you turn from your sin and if you embrace Christ by faith and you seek to walk in obedience with him, this is, this is one of the greatest treasures in the universe. It's, it's a diamond in a mountain of gold. I will not fear because God is with me. He's with me. Romans 8 what shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Awesome. God is for me. Who can be against me? You know, you might want to ask the question, well, how for me is he really? How for me really is God? He tells us right there, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not him, with him also freely give us all things? That means God gave for you and me his, his son. His only son, his pure, spotless, perfect son, the one who took upon himself the punishment for all of my sin and yours. That's the Nobel Prize of gifts. I mean, that's a, the cheapest but best explanation. That doesn't even cover it. There's no better gift. The point, here's the point. God has already given you his very best. His very best. And then now you're going to come to him and ask him for something less than his very best? He's going to withhold the less than after he's already given you the best? I mean, it doesn't make sense. There is nothing you can ask God for that is not incredibly insignificantly less than what he's already given you. That's why we come before the, the, the throne with boldness and with confidence when we ask him. Because verse 33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to accuse us? Who's, who's going to tear us down before God? It is God who justifies. He's the judge. He's the final word. He's the final decision. Who is he who condemns? 
It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. Now catch this, this is a cool thing. Who makes intercession for us. Jesus is praying for us. <laughs> right now. Right now. <laughs> you know, with, with whatever you carried in with you into the house of the Lord today, that you're concerned about, Maybe it's driven you to the point where it's worrying you. Whatever it is, if you could hear the Lord praying for you, you know, like he's in the next room, he's on his knees and he's got these white flowing robes and these nail-pierced hands and he's, 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 he's praying <laughs> and he's praying for you by name. And he knows your exact situation and he's saying, you know, Give her strength, Father. Give him wisdom, Father. Lord, give them patience and faith. They're going to mess it up, Lord. Give them the faith to wait to see your hand at work in their life. And those prayers are just churning, coming from the Son of God to the Father. It's just this incredible assertion in, in, in Scripture that Christ is not only with me, but he's actually praying and interceding before the Father on our behalf. What an amazing thing. <laughs> so here's a question to wonder. I wonder if the father answers the son's prayers. <laughs> Back to Hebrews. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord, not, not the stock market, not a successful career, not not your boss making the right decision you want them to, or wise investments, because all those things can just, they just burn in a moment. My security is from God. God is with me. I will not fear. God is with me. That's the best thing. What can man do to me? And I know right now in this room, there are many, many people who have been to that place where the presence of God was everything. And did nothing else you had no place to hope in anything else. But the presence of the Lord was enough because it sustains you and it carries you. You know, it's that place where you, you can actually put your full weight down upon it and it will hold you up. It just sustains us. God's promises are exceedingly great and precious. Deuteronomy 31 says, Be strong and of good courage, and do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. It's all right there. The context of this passage is, is Moses is just about to go to heaven. He's kind of like, he's like, he's, he's, he's going out the door. And all of the children of Israel that didn't have any faith, um, that wouldn't go into the promised land. They're going, oh, we'll all get killed if we go in there. You know, and they've all now died off in the wilderness. And now God is going to give to the children what the parents wouldn't trust God for. That whole new generation. So Moses is telling them some things. And he says, before you go in there to face those giants that you might think will be too strong for you, keep this in mind. God is with you. You're going to be facing some violent opposition and you might think that it's too hard for a while, but just remember, God is with you. You could be facing overwhelming odds. There are going to be, you're going to be outnumbered 
And you, you, it might cause you to fear when you see the numbers, but just remember something. God is with you. This battle's not gonna be over in 10 minutes. It might not be over in 10 weeks. It's, it, it's gonna last for a while and, and there's not gonna be a quick solution and, and you may think this is just taking too long. Remember this, God is with you. So keep in mind, God is with you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's almost like he's saying that the worse the days get, the more God is with you. I know there might be some here who would be saying to themselves, you know, my life is a mess, Terry. I just, it's just a mess. Psalm 34, 18, I want you to hear these words and let the Holy Spirit massage these into your soul. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If, if your heart's breaking, if you have some sense that the Lord has abandoned you, far from abandoning you, the Lord is rushing in with his presence and he's right there with you. You have no reason to fear. Believers, you have no reason to fear. Okay, so next week we're gonna talk about doubt. Doubt, but I wanna pray with you now. Let's pray. God, I first am grateful that the overwhelming promise of your word is that we can have eternal life. (laughs) What a wonderful promise. It's absolutely something that none of us can achieve on our own. It's it's absolutely something that, that none of us can earn. Religion, all forms of human religion are just simply constructs for for humans, for men and women to try to make ourselves right with you. But we can't. You're a holy God. You're just a holy God and there's no way for us to become holy in ourselves. We can try to be good, but there are just those setbacks and there are places where we're, we're just not good enough. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of eternal life. Thank you that you gave your son for that express purpose. Thank you that you love us so much you would leave the 99. Thank you, God, for that. It's more than a phrase to me because I was lost, arrogant, self-confident, and absolutely on my way to hell. And you loved me so much. When I was your foe, you came after me with love. Thank you, God, for that. There's not a single person in this room that you love less. There's actually not a single person in this room that you love more. Your love is overwhelming for every one of us. God, I I pray that your spirit would speak to, to hearts right now. Call them, Lord, to salvation. Call them, Lord, to life. Call them, Lord, to eternal life. I pray that there wouldn't be a single person in this room, Lord, whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life for when that day comes. I want to just take a moment with eyes closed to give opportunity for anyone here who would say, I want to get squared away with God. And I don't understand all of the theology, but I know I need to be right with God, and I, and I want to trust in Jesus as my Savior. Is there anyone who wants to make that decision? Just let me pray with you. Look up at me and give me a little nod. Okay. 
Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, for the assurance of your presence. That, Lord, we do not need to fear. Lord, I want to thank you, God, that, that we are not only capable, but you want us to lay our hands upon your promises. That you're never going to leave us or forsake us, Lord. And I want to thank you, God, most of all, that minute by minute you're praying for us. In the precious name of Jesus. As we prepare to dismiss, I don't want us to run out of here without taking a moment to respond to the word that the Lord might have laid on your heart. So I'm going to have you stand with me. I'm going to have the prayer team come up to my right, your left. If you need prayer, come and come up. These guys.